morning. Let's get our Bibles out open to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, page 1196 in that pew Bible that's in front of you. You'll have to advance the slide so then I can start taking control. All right, so when we first started talking about four, we had really no idea where we were going to go. Of course, you didn't. You were just confident that I did, and I thought I did, and I thought we were going to spend one week in Luke chapter 10, which then became two weeks in Luke chapter 10, which is now three weeks in Luke chapter 10, and it's just one of those situations where... um, You know, as God leads, I just continue to be drawn back to this. And God just keeps bringing me back saying, we're not done. We're not done. So here we go. So we started a few weeks ago talking about being people who are known for what we're for. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about how we live in a culture that is all we ever hear all day long is what everyone's against. That's all we hear. That seems to be the, the narrative of our time. And what the world wants is people that are for something good. They just don't know it. And let me tell you what. If you begin to uh, Take the things that God's showing us in this conversation that we're having and you begin to apply it in the way that you talk to people, the way that you relate to people. You'll see that people who would never dream of coming to church or never dream of uh, saying that they believe in a God or reading a Bible or anything will be drawn to what you're doing. And here's the thing, that people are people. Wasn't that profound? Like, you might should write that down. In other words, listen, you can study human history, and you can see that regardless of whatever culture, time, age, generation, their people are still pretty much the same. And listen, the people in the world today are not that different from the people that were in the world when Jesus was on earth. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus walked alongside people who didn't believe in God, who were rejects, outcasts, who were the mistreated, the people who felt like they were, you know, the recipients of misfortune. They were the misfits. And listen, he spent most of his time around those average, ordinary people, and they were drawn to him. Do you know why? Because when you read the Gospels, Jesus spends all of his time talking about what he's for. He doesn't show up with a long list of all the things he's against. People are drawn to that. Listen, you know what everyone around you wants? They want you to be for something, something good. When they find out that you're for them because God's for us, man, they'll be drawn to it. When you begin to love them, when you begin to, that's what Jesus did. And we started talking about this through Acts 17, and we saw that one of the implications that we need to be aware of is the fact that God has determined and pre-appointed our boundaries and our dwellings. According to Acts 17, that we're not where we are because of some 
economic choice that we made or some personal decision or, uh, you know, whether it's our family, our job, whatever the case may be, that God supernaturally puts His children where they are for a reason. And we don't have to wonder why that is because the Bible tells us that so that the people around us would seek the Lord. So me and you are where we are, according to Acts 17, because God wants the people around us to seek Him. So if you get your listening guide out, here's what we would say. We would say, God put us where we are to show the people around us who He is. Amen? That's the purpose. And we want to be about that purpose. I don't think, you know, there's anybody here this morning that would say, well, you know what, I just reject that. Now, you might reject it, but that's not the way you would say it. You would have different reasons for maybe not embracing it, but you'd want to reject it. You just have problems accepting it. And we started looking at Luke chapter 10 because there Jesus has a dialogue with a, with a law expert about what's the greatest commandment in the law. And so look at Luke 10 verse 27. So the, the man answers that the greatest commandment in the law is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now here's what I want to point out. We've been talking about this for a couple weeks. I want you to take note this morning of the progression. It's important now. It's going to become important about 20 minutes from now. There's a progression. There's always a progression. It says, love God, love people. It does not say, love people, love God. You got that? That's important. And so when, when Jesus was having this conversation, and when me and you have this conversation, we're still left with the same question. We look at love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, and we're left with the question, how in the world do I do that? How do I do that? And so Jesus answers the question, by telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is what we talked about last week, right? And so the answer to how we do that, Jesus says, well, here's an example. And he gives us the parable of the Good Samaritan. So a man is going down a, a pathway. He falls among thieves and is left half dead in the ditch on the side of the road. And a priest comes by and he ignores him. And a Levite comes by and ignores him. But then this dreaded half-breed Samaritan, everyone hated Samaritans, comes by, goes, picks him up, bandages him, put him on his animal, takes him to the inn, pays all of his expenses, uh, covers all of his needs, is not fearful, gets, gets his hands dirty, gets all in the middle of it. And then Jesus tells the story, and then he says uh, in verse 36, now which one of these men was a neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And so the scribe says, well, he who showed mercy on him. And remember, mercy is treating somebody differently than they deserve. And Jesus said, important, go and do likewise. Right? Okay, so here's the greatest commandment. 
Here's a parable explaining how we do it. So after the great commandment, we're like, I don't know how in the world am I going to do this. Then Jesus tells us the parable of the Good Samaritan, and we're like, uh, what does this mean? And so last week we said, here's what it means. That we're to go to impractical and unreasonable lengths to show the love of Jesus to one person at a time. That's what we said last week. Now, aren't you encouraged? Oh, you're so encouraged. I mean, you have spent all week doing this, haven't you? And you came to church this morning to share the story of all the impractical and unreasonable ways that you have been exhibiting the love of Jesus to the people around you. No, what's probably more likely is, is that you look at that and go, oh, how do I do that? You see, it's like this progression of, it. you know, the more Jesus explains, the more I'm like, oh. the more complex it gets, the more difficult it gets, the more obstacles seem to be there, right? And so now we left last week going, okay, how do we do this? And what Jesus does next is extraordinary. What he does is he, he will oftentimes either through his words or his actions, he's, he's asking us a question. And so sitting under the weight of the parable of the Good Samaritan, in practical and unreasonable lengths to show the love of Jesus one person at a time. Jesus then poses this question. What marks your life? Distraction or devotion? Now, he's not going to make it more difficult today. He's going he's gonna, to, we're going to go full circle. And we're going to get some, some closure, some understanding, some exactly what we need on how to do this. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we want to say thank you to you in advance that you want your children to know things. And that you have gone to impractical and unreasonable lengths to give us the opportunity to know them. And so will you help us this morning to push aside anything that might distract us away from hearing what you have to say. Prepare our hearts to receive it. We need ears to hear and we need courage to obey. But we promise to give you the glory and the praise and the credit as we do the things you call us to do for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Luke 10, beginning in verse 38. Here's what Jesus says. This is what he does. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. 
But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters have left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, how in the world is this the answer? And the bigger question is, why is this what follows the Good Samaritan? Now, this isn't a new passage to you. You're familiar with all these passages, but almost all of you have have read this, heard this, know about it. And you even know that this is a well-known family in the New Testament. Three siblings, Lazarus, two sisters, Mary, Martha. They develop a close relationship with Jesus, and there's multiple interactions between them and Jesus across the uh, time of Jesus' ministry on earth. Now, like I probably say this every single time that we are, you know, I don't say this when I'm preaching through Amos like we just finished on Wednesday night because most people don't know anything about Amos. But when I'm talking about a passage like this, I always say, because it's always true. It's a well-known passage, most often misaligned, misapplied, and misused. And that's to our shame. But let's look at it and see. First thing you need to notice about this passage is, is that Jesus is in no way condemning what Martha is doing. That's very important for you to understand. He's not, he's not, he's not condemning. He's not saying there's anything wrong with doing things. Obviously, if we don't do things, nothing gets done. And if, you know, there's most of you in the room would identify more with Martha than you do with Mary. And I'm in the camp with you. And I am a doer. And I am a accomplisher. And nothing makes me more insane than not being able to do anything. Right? And so here's what happens. We, this is what, what we oftentimes do. We read this passage and we feel the tension in the passage. And because we are Martha's, we say, well, well, what would a, what, it's a good thing we don't live in a whole world full of Marys. Because then it would, nothing would ever get done. Right? Amen. You like that. But that, that's not what's going on here. See, there's, Jesus is... He's not, he's not condemning what Martha is doing. Let's remember how we got here, okay? What happened at the end of the conversation that led us to this place? Jesus and the scribe and the great commandment. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. So the, the phrase that even led us to this point is a command by Jesus to do. So he's clearly not condemning doing things. That's not what's going on here. 
Here's what's going on. Jesus isn't condemning doing. He's explaining it. The problem that this text is illustrating is not a problem with doing. It's a problem with how you go about doing. That's the problem. And you know what it does? It exposes for us the reason why the church of today is so ineffective. And, and how can there be hundreds of millions of people who profess faith in this Jesus and allegiance to this Bible and yet are so ineffective at accomplishing the basic commands of Scripture? It's not because we're not doing. It's because of how we're doing. That's the problem. And so my prayer is that God will lift the weight off of you. And you will then feel uh, the freedom and the liberty and the productivity that comes with his yoke. Now let's face it. We live in a busy world with a lot going on. And we all have busy lives. And in the midst of the busyness that goes on, God oftentimes is forgotten, marginalized, squeezed out. And we don't want it to be that way. We want it to be different. And we've tried to make it different, but we can't seem to get any traction. We can't seem to get there. And so we, we maybe we try and try and try and fail and fail and fail, or maybe we just try once and fail. It just depends on your determination or stubbornness or however you want to look at it. But oftentimes, most people get to the end of their day and they think, you know, I wish I would have had time to pay attention to spiritual things today, but it just didn't go that way. And if we're honest, we're just too busy. We're too tired. We're too entertained. We're too overstimulated. We're just too overwhelmed. To do the things that we want to do. That we know we ought to do. And think about what's going on in this text. I want you to notice that Martha is distracted. But what is distracting her? And it's important for you to understand. She's not distracted by sinful things. Martha is not doing anything that's immoral. She's not doing anything that's unethical. She's distracted, but she's doing what she thinks is righteous. She's doing what she thinks is good. And the truth is, is that most of the time your life is filled with distractions, and they're not bad things. They're good things. It's the good things that are that are overwhelming you. It's the good things that are distracting you. 
You've heard it said that if the devil can't make us bad, he'll just make us busy. It's the same effectiveness. Now, how is this text explaining how to do? Well, here's here's how it works. In this text, we see that in Jesus' economy, with precedes for. Again, when you are studying the Bible, pay attention to the progression of Scripture. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. It is not the other way around. Notice the progression of what's going on here, that Jesus isn't condemning one thing and affirming another. That's not what's happening. What he's doing is he's explaining the the wrong methodology of one thing and the correct of the other. So put in parentheses under that statement, for him is the result of being with him. That's what I want you to understand. That's how his economy works. If you want to do something for God, the only way you can do that is by spending time with God. It's the only way. And now you begin to see what's wrong with the church today. It's filled with people trying to do something the wrong way. And it won't work. It will never work. Now, look at verse 40. The Bible says that Martha was distracted by much serving. And so she approaches Jesus and she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? I mean, there is a lot here. Now, the question that she asked Jesus and the answer that Jesus gives, both of them are super insightful about what's going on with Martha. See, she's not doing anything sinful. She's busy doing what she thinks is righteous. But she has no confidence in that. She has no confidence at all in what she's doing. And you can tell by what she says. You see, if she, listen, think about this. If Martha was confident that what she was doing was exactly what God had created her to do, which, I mean, how many thousands of times has this been taught in some Sunday school class or some Bible study, and a bunch of people just totally ruined this passage? And they walked away going, it's fine if you're a Martha. You know, it's, we know that you're made like, I mean, that is heresy. Do you understand that? That's not this passage. That is completely wrong. If she, let's suppose, she knew that what she was doing was what God had created her to do, right? If that was what was, what was pleasing unto God, and she was doing that, and she had confidence in that, what she would have said to Jesus is, Jesus, I'm concerned because Mary is not doing what I'm doing, and I'm concerned for her. But that's not what she says. 
What she says exhibits that she has no confidence at all in what she's doing. And how do I know that? Because look, she draws a comparison between her and her sister, which is very telling. Whenever we compare ourselves to someone else, we lose. You know that? And here's why. Because comparison is one of the most unbiblical stances you can possibly take in your life. It rejects God on so many levels. Listen, here's what's true. What's true in the kingdom of God is that no matter how it looks on the outside, God is at work in every story. That's true. And so whether I can see it or not, or whether you can see it or not, God's at work in every story. And no two stories are the same. And so if we know God and we fear God and we walk with God, then we should see the world around us through the lens of God is at work in every story and God works uniquely in every story, right? But when we compare ourselves to someone else, we're rejecting the uniqueness of who we are and we're rejecting the operation of God in the story that we're looking down on or looking up to and putting ourselves down by comparing. It's always wrong. Because here's what comparison will never do. It will never change your story or their story. The only thing it will do is rob your joy. That's what it will do. And do you know what? Social media is annihilating us. It's the king of comparison. And it's a horrible thing for a Christian to do. Now, look. She draws a comparison between her and her sister because she has no confidence in what she's doing. Now, just look at what happens here. It's so obvious. She begins by blaming others for her frustration. Mary isn't helping me. You see that? Mary isn't helping me. Then she blames God for her frustration. She says to God, don't you care? You see? Look at how this is growing. Then, and that's not all. Then it really gets crazy. Notice what Martha tells God. Martha has the audacity to tell God what to do. She looks at God incarnate, the king of the universe in the face, and says to him, tell her to help me. Now, if I'm there at that moment, I'm like, lightning bolt. I'm getting away. Like, did you just do that? Are you insane? You can't tell Jesus what to do and how to do it. She did. We got major problems here. So I was studying this and I was like, now what's going on? 
What does God want us to see? What does He want us to know? And so as going back through my word study, and I was looking at verse 40 in the original language, and suddenly it just jumped out at me. Look at verse 40. You see, it says, but Martha was distracted. And I looked at that word in the Greek, and that word in the Greek, this is what it means. The word distracted means to be going toward a destination and then to be sidetracked or to be derailed or to be misdirected. I realize that the conversation that God has been leading us through about being misdirected in 1 Corinthians, that a misdirected people, is what God's shown us is that a misdirected person is a person who has an identity problem, right? And then all of a sudden I realize, oh, that's what's going on with Martha. She has an identity problem. She's misdirected. See, she's heading somewhere. She just got pulled off course. She's comparing herself to her sister, and she's frustrated. See, here's the principle. Maybe this will help you. You know who the busiest person in the world is? Human person. You, you know who, who that is? It's the person who is trying to manage the perceptions of others. The most exhausted people in this room are the people who are busy trying to manage other people's perceptions of them. And you are worn out. And this text says to you in the midst of your exhaustion, why don't you trust God to be in charge of what other people think of you? Chasing the rabbit of what other people think of you will leave you bone dry, dead, exhausted, and totally empty. And yet we run and we run and we run. And here's Martha. And you know what? She's doing what she thinks is the best thing to do. But she has no confidence in it because she doesn't know who she is or what she was made to do. And she's frustrated. And instead of, instead of pouring herself into what she's doing, she's comparing herself to other people who aren't doing what they're doing and how that's affecting them. And now you're beginning to understand that this sounds a whole lot like the church of 2021 to me. 
I see an American evangelical church going in reverse. Baptisms are at an all-time low. You know that? All-time low. Church attendance is lower today than it's ever been in the history of this country. I often wonder when I say things like that, I wish in that moment I could read your minds. Because I would love to know what you think. What comes to your mind when I say that? Whose responsibility have you made that? How do you sidestep that reality? We're here. God put me and you here. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, today. You, didn't, you weren't born in the 20s. You weren't born 50 years from now. You're born now. And God put you here. And He put you around people for a reason. And what have you done with that? What are you doing with that? And you know what? You're busy. And you're doing a lot of things. But how's it working? How effective? I mean, how many people have you led to Christ? How many people have you brought to church? How many people have you baptized? How many people? I mean, what are, how many? How's it going? And it's not because there's nobody here today saying, well, I just, you know, I hadn't been doing anything. Like, no, most of us in here, we're running like a chicken with our head cut off. We're Martha. We're Martha. And you know what? We're doing what we think we ought to be doing. And we're doing what other people expect us to do. And we're doing what we've been taught to do. And so we just keep doing it. And Jesus is stopping us dead in our tracks. And he's saying, uh-uh. Uh-uh. He's saying, you know what? Maybe, maybe the reason why some of you in here this morning are reluctant to love your neighbor in an impractical way it's because you're insecure. Just be honest. You're just like Martha. She's insecure. She's misdirected. You, you don't know what to do. You don't know how to do it. You, you're not confident. You're, you're, you're insecure. You, you fear that you're going to be rejected or that you're going to fail or that you don't know what to do or you don't know how to do it or you don't even know and whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is, but you're insecure. And I just want you to take a deep breath and, and breathe the truth in. Look, if God went to the trouble to put us where we are, shouldn't we trust him to give us favor with the people there with us? Huh? I mean, shouldn't we? In other words, do you think that God went to all the trouble to do all the work in you that need to be done, to place you in the place he placed you, to, and then he's just going to ignore 
exactly who he's put around you. He's not going to set the table for you. He's, he's not going to roll out the red carpet for you. He's not going to preempt you. Like, do you think he would do that? That's absurd. Do you know what God's done? God's already worked in the lives of the people around you in advance of you being there so that you would be able to do exactly what he's called you to do. He's, let me remind you, God's for you. He's not against you. God doesn't want you to fail. He wants you to win. That's what this whole passage is about. He's saying, I love you. I want you to, I want you to experience what life is like. In the Spirit. I want you to know what it's like to walk in the Spirit. I want you to know what it's like to, to do what I created you for. That's what He wants for you. So Jesus answers and says, look at verse 41. He says, Martha, Martha. Now listen, when He repeats her name like that, this very, it's very important To understand that Jesus is showing his endearment and his love and his compassion for Martha. He is showing her love in the midst of her situation. Just like he's showing me and you love in the midst of our situation this morning. He's saying, Martha, I love you. Now listen. You are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, not two things, not three things. One thing is needed. And Mary has chose that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, let's talk about Mary for a second. There's Mary. She's, she's kneeling at the feet of Jesus. She's in a posture of submission, kneeling before Jesus. But it's very clear. The Bible says she's kneeling before Jesus listening to his word. She's, she's listening to him teach. And she's taking in what he says. Now here's my question. What is Jesus teaching? You don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. And why? Because it's not important. That's not what this is about. This text isn't about what Jesus is teaching. It's about what Mary is doing. Look. Mary of Bethany. She shows up three times in the Bible. Now, you get a little confusing because Jesus' mom's name is Mary. And then you have Mary Magdalene that had all the demons cast out of her. But this is Mary of Bethany. And Mary of Bethany shows up in the Bible three times. And all three times are completely different scenarios and completely different situations, yet all three times have one thing in common. So here in Luke chapter 10, Mary shows up and the Bible simply says she sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word, right? Then the next time she shows up is going to be in John chapter 11 when her brother Lazarus is sick and he... They send word to Jesus, and then her brother dies. And so she's sad because he's 
dying and she loves Jesus and she trusts Jesus, but her brother died. And so she's struggling with that. And so in John chapter 11, here's what the Bible says. It says, then when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and she fell down at his, what's the word? Feet. At his feet. And then she said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now understand, when she says that, she's not saying, Jesus, it's your fault that my brother died. She's acknowledging her belief in Jesus and her trust that Jesus can do all things. She's acknowledging that Jesus has the capacity to do anything, and she believes that. And then she turns up again in John chapter 12. Now in John chapter 12, here's what the Bible says. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who was dead, so now this is after he's been raised, right? Who was dead, whom he had raised from the dead, and there they made him supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with Jesus. Okay, now where's Mary? The next verse says, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil and spring nard and anointed the what did she do? The what? The feet. There she is again at the feet of Jesus, anointing his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Every time Mary shows up in the Bible, she's at the feet of Jesus every time. Now, here's what happens. She, she anoints his feet, and then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, says in John chapter 12, Hey, we're wasting all this. We could have sold this, and we could have made money with it. We could have given the money to the poor. And Jesus says, in response to what she's doing, leave her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. Now, this is important. Jesus says, she takes the most expensive thing she owns. She comes into where they're serving dinner. Lazarus is eating. Martha is still serving. She comes in and she kneels down at Jesus' feet and breaks the flask. And this expensive oil begins to run over Jesus. And she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And when they try to stop her or they try to scold her for what she's doing... The response Jesus gives is that she's preparing me for burial. Do you know who the first person in the Bible is who understands that Jesus is going to die? Jesus has been saying since the beginning that he's going to die. And none of his disciples get it. None of them understand it. Peter doesn't understand it. John doesn't understand it. James doesn't understand it. Nobody understands it. You know who the first person to understand it is? Mary. 
Mary is the first person in Scripture to get the reality that he's the Messiah, but that he's going to die. And how did Mary learn that Jesus is going to die? At the feet of Jesus. You see, the reason Mary understands something that no one else understands is because she's spending all her time at the feet of Jesus. Newsflash. If you want to be like Jesus, then you have to know what Jesus is like. And if you want to know what Jesus is like, you have to sit at his feet. That's the only way that works. You see, the way it works is that the Spirit of God makes known to you through the Word of God the things of God so that you can be the person that God made you to be. That's the only way it works. There's no other way it can work. It cannot work any other way. So, what's the implication? Well, This isn't my first rodeo. I've been doing this a long time. I've been looking at faces like yours looking back at me a long time. I've been herding sheep a long time. And I've learned a lot of things about it. And you know what I know? I know that there's some of you in this room that read your Bible. And there's some of you in this room that don't read your Bible. And those of you that do read your Bible, the reason you read your Bible is because you know that you don't have the answers. You see, when I, when I encounter people that don't read their Bible, I understand. I know what your problem is. You've tried to read your Bible. You want to read your Bible. You just don't. And you know why you don't? Because you're doing a lot of other things. And the reason that you're doing a lot of other things, instead of reading your Bible, the reason you're not sitting at the feet of Jesus is because you're still not convinced That you don't know the answers. But when the day comes, and hopefully by the Spirit of God, it'll be today. When the day comes that you figure out that you don't know what to do, but what you need to know is found only in the Bible, you will then begin to read your Bible and consistently stay in your Bible. But until that happens, you won't do it. You can't force yourself, train yourself, make yourself. It will not work. You will always be Martha until you learn that your way won't work and that the only way that will work can only be found in that. And when that happens, you will then read it. Period. I'm 100% sure that this is the case. And do you know how I know that? Because you do lots of things. You see, there's some of you in here, and you know who I'm talking. The Spirit of God's talking to you. 
And you do, think of all the things that you do. And do you know why you do those things? You do those things because you think those are the things you ought to be doing. Those are the things that people expect you to do. Those are the things you've been taught to do. And so you do them. And until you realize that that will never work, that you will never, ever, ever get out of that routine that you're in, you'll just keep spinning that wheel and spinning that wheel, Martha. You're going to stay so tired and so burnt out. And you're always going to want something, but it's always going to elude you. It's not because you're doing the wrong things. It's because you're doing it the wrong way. You see, you've got your, your life out of order. And here's what I know. You don't have any confidence in what you're doing. That's why you feel so convicted right now. Do you? You know you don't have any confidence. You're insecure. And do you know why you don't love your neighbor? Because you're insecure. And do you know why you're insecure? Because you should be. Because you're doing things the wrong way. Is it going to be easy? I mean, oh, 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 the answer today is here's what we need to do. We just need to, you know, just come before God and, and say, God, I want to be like Mary. And I know that my way is not the right way. And I'm going to, and, and my, my, I don't have the answers. And I'm going to search for them in your word. And mm -hmm. it's just going to, man, tomorrow is just going to be like a, a dream come true. It's going to be awesome. You know, you, you got that friend in your life, and they're like, oh, I got up this morning, and I was just spending time in the Bible, you know, and I'm just, it's like my feet aren't even touching the ground. I'm just floating on Holy Spirit power, and it's just been so amazing and wonderful. And Yeah, no, that's not how that's going to go down. I want to show you something else about Mary that I know to be so true in my life, and some of you have the same testimony. See, I remember, I remember the moment that I, that I moved from Martha to Mary. I remember that moment vividly. I was trying so hard because I was a new Christian. I thought, man, all these people are doing all these things, and I want to be like them. And I was trying so hard. To do everything and be everything. And you know, and, and because people said you got to get up in the morning and have a devotion. You got to do this. So I was doing all these things. And I was whooped. Getting nowhere. And then I realized. I don't have the answers. But I know who does. And I can't live without the answers. So what I've got to do is I've got to, I've got to shuck everything until I've established some way to where I get what I need in order to live. 
Look, and you think it's easy? Hmm. In Luke chapter 10, Mary's at Jesus' feet, and her own sister, her own family. See, some of you, you've tried to, you've tried to move from Martha to Mary, and, and you've been attacked by your own family. Look, her own sister starts saying, Lord, you don't care that my sister's leaving me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Her own sister's trying to get her to stop. Then you go to John chapter 11 when her brother was sick. And so here's what happens. Her brother dies, and then she sees Jesus. And when she, the Bible says when she leaves and goes to Jesus, that the Jews that were with her went with her. And so when she goes to Jesus and she falls at his feet, do you know what the people that were with her said? She's kneeling at his feet going, God, I know that you have the power to do this. I believe in you and I trust you. And all of her sidekicks that are with her, they say in John eleven thirty seven, they go, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have also kept your brother from dying? Do you see how hateful that is? Do you see how divisive that is? They're trying to diminish her faith in Jesus. They're trying to get her off the feet of Jesus. The next time Mary shows up, when she's anointing the feet of Jesus, there she is, down on her hands and knees with fragrant oil. And what happens? The disciples attack her and start saying, hey, you're wasting that. We should have sold it and given the money to the poor. So what am I saying? I'm telling you, That it's going to be war. If you want to know the things you need to know. You're going to have to go to war to get them. Now I'm sure that some of you in here are just super busy people. And I wouldn't know anything about that. See. Let me give you a little insight into my world. Every day, see, on Sundays, I'm a hospital administrator. But you know what I do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Drive an ambulance. Yeah, that's what happens. See, nobody's coming in my office. This week, Pastor, I was driving down the road and I thought I'd stop in and see you. I just wanted to tell you, you know, that tie Lisa picked out Sunday, that was one good-looking tie. I just want you to know that. You know, that's never happened in 25 years. You know what happens? You come in my office and there's steam coming off your head. You're smoking because something is a disaster. And you're like, ah, and it's the end of the world. And, yeah, you should have done something three months ago, but you ignored it, and now it's a catastrophe, and here we are, right? And, and the only thing you can imagine, the only problem that matters in the world is your problem. But there's ten people that already been there and ten more people trying to get in, and they all got smoking heads. 
And so whenever me and Pastor Brian are having a conversation about this, do you know what I always say? I say, it's the tyranny of the urgent. Because I never live a day in my life where someone else's urgency is not projected onto me. And that's fine. That's my job. But let me tell you something. There are two things that happen every day. And it doesn't matter how many heads are on fire or how big the flames are that are on them. It ain't going to change. You can call me. You can send a smoke signal. You can get Superman to fly through the wall and shock me with his x-ray vision, and it ain't going to work. Until I get done with those two things, whatever your thing is, is not something I can get involved with. Because if I don't do those two things, I can't do anything. Anything. And do you know what? In 25 years, it hasn't gotten easier. It's warfare every day. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It's not changing. That's just the way it is. You see, I can't do anything unless I've been somewhere. I've got to be with him to do anything for him. And if I get that out of order, if I try to do things for him when I haven't been with him, I become Martha. And it will not work. It will never work. It never has, never will. You will forever fail. Listen, the pressure that you feel on loving your neighbor, it's not, it shouldn't be pressure. You should hear the loving voice of God saying, I know all the things that you're doing are important to you. And I know they mean something to you and they mean something to me. But don't you see? You're doing this the wrong way. That's why it won't work. Look, that passage where Mary is anointing Jesus' feet, you know it's found in three of the Gospels. Well, when Matthew 26 tells us that, that story, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that for in pouring this fragrant oil out on my body. Jesus said, she did it for my burial. Then he adds this, assuredly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. You get that? Remember the progression? What God wants, from, wants you to understand is the greatest commandment is to love God and be a blessing to people. You cannot be a blessing to people unless you love God.
It's in loving God that you get the capacity to be a blessing to people, right? Now look, look at, look at what the Bible shows us here. She's at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus says, by what she's done, by, what she, by the time she's spent, by what she's, what she's done at my feet, she then will be a blessing to people for generations to come. Look, the invitation this morning, listen to me. The invitation this morning is to love your neighbor by the power you receive from loving God and it will change, it changes eternity. You understand that? It changes eternity. One person at a time. Just one person. You change people's destiny. You change family lineages. You change, you, you change nations. You, you, we have no idea of what is a, what hangs in the balance of just showing this kind of impractical love to one person at a time. But we can only do that. Listen, we can do the other things, but we have to do this one thing. It's the one thing, Jesus said. It's not two things, it's one. You have to do this one thing. She's chosen the better thing. Yes, there's good things, but this is the best thing. Don't miss this thing. You gotta get down at my feet. You gotta spend time with me, and then you'll know me. And when you get to know me, you'll be, then be able to love people, and you'll change their destiny. You'll change their eternity. You'll, they'll be where you're gonna be forevermore. Because you allowed God to do this in you. That's the weight of the invitation. Not the weight of the condemnation. God is saying to you this morning, I'm inviting you to do eternity's work. What in the world could be better than that? Keeping your schedule every day? Making sure, listen, that was the hardest thing for me to do is overcome your expectation of me. And that's what's blocking you. Is that if you block out time for God, other people are going to be disappointed in you. And you're exhausted because you're managing their expectations. You can't do that. You got to leave it to God. Let's take God seriously. Let's receive this invitation. Let's understand that the things that we learn from Christ, by being with Christ, will then cause us to do things through Christ. that will last for an eternity. Hear the heart of God this morning. He loves you. This isn't for somebody else. This is for you. And if, if you're trying to 
if you're trying to compete with this against all the other things, it's never going to work. It's just never going to work. You got to just come to the place where you understand that it's a war, but it's a war you can't lose. To love my neighbor like myself, I have to war for them like I war for myself. And we all know how to do that. He's not condemning doing, he's just explaining it.